Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, November 21st episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Excuse me, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there putting out great, great content. I would encourage you to go over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a very real chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, with it being Tuesday, we're continuing on, continuing on as we do every day with our Bible reading. And then this evening, we're going to continue on in this section of John chapter 15 that uh, is titled Hated by the World. So we're going to work on our second section for it for today. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. We're going to open up with the third day morning prayer, God, creator and controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where the nun is ever sick and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right. And our devotion for this morning, um, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 21st, the text is from Ephesians 4.30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. All that the believer has, mu has must come from Christ, but it comes solely through the channel of the Spirit of grace. Moreover, as all blessings thus flow to you through the Holy Spirit, so also no good thing can come out of you in holy thought, devout worship, or gracious act, apart from the sanctifying operation of the same Spirit. Even if the good seed be sown in you, yet it lies dormant, except he worketh in you to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Do you desire to speak for Jesus? How can you, unless the Holy Ghost touch your tongue? Do you desire to pray? Alas, what dull work it is unless the Spirit maketh intersection for you. Do you desire to subdue sin? Would you be holy? Would you imitate your master? Do you desire to rise to superlative heights of spirituality? Are you wanting to be made like the angels of God, full of zeal and ardor for the master's cause? You cannot without the Spirit. Without me, you, ye can do nothing. O branch of the vine, thou canst have no fruit without the sap. O child of God, thou hast no life within thee apart from the life which God gives thee through his Spirit. Then let us not grieve him or provoke him to anger. By our sin, let us not quench him in one of his faintest motions in our soul. 
Let us foster every suggestion and be ready to obey every prompting. If the Holy Spirit be indeed so mighty, let us attempt nothing without him. Let us begin no project and carry on no enterprise and conclude no transaction without imploring his blessing. Let us do him the due homage of feeling our entire weakness apart from him and then depending alone upon him, having this for our prayer. Open thou my heart and my whole being to thine, thine incoming and uphold me with thy free spirit when I shall have received the spirit and my inward parts. All right, hang on a second. Sorry, needed to wet my throat there a little bit. All right. So our reading for today, we're going to be reading Ezekiel 42 and 43, James 5, Psalm 119, the first 16 verses. And again, we'll probably with Psalm 119 as long as it is, <laughs> where it's probably going to be six, seven, eight days maybe of Psalm 119. So we're going to be first 16 verses and then Proverbs 28 verses six and seven. So Ezekiel 42, and hang on just a second. Sorry, had to make some adjustments there. All right, Ezekiel 42. Then he brought me, okay, so this is still Ezekiel being, through the vision being taken through and all the measurements of the court and the temple. So, so Ezekiel 42. Then he brought me out into the outer court, the way toward the north, and he brought me to the chamber, which was opposite the separate area and opposite the building toward the north. Along the length, which was 100 cubits, was the north door. The width was 50 cubits. Opposite the 20 cubits, which belonged to the inner court, and opposite the pavement, which belonged to the outer court, was gallery corresponding to gallery in three stories. Before the chambers was an inner walk, 10 cubits wide a walk of 100 cubits, and their openings were on the north. Now the upper chambers were smaller because the galleries took more space away from them than from the lower and middle ones in the building, for they were in three stories and had no pillars like the pillar, excuse me, like the pillars of the courts. Therefore the upper chambers were set back from the ground upward, more than the lower and middle ones. As for the outer wall by the side of the chambers towards the outer court, Facing the chambers, its length was fifty cubits, for the length of the chambers which were in the outer court was fifty cubits, and behold, the length of those facing the temple was one hundred cubits. Below these chambers was the entrance on the east side, as one enters them from the outer court. In the thickness of the wall of the court toward the east, facing the separate area and facing the building, there were chambers. The way in front of them was like the appearance of the chambers which were on the north, according to their length, so was their width and all their exits were both according to their arrangements and openings, corresponding to the openings of the chambers, which were toward the south, was an opening at the head of the way, the way in front of the wall toward the east, as one enters them. Then he said to me, The north chambers and the south chambers, which are opposite the separate area, they are the holy chambers, where the priests who are near to Yahweh shall eat the, whole, the most holy things, there they shall lay the most holy things, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering for the places holy. When the priests enter, then they shall not go out into the outer court from the sanctuary without laying there their garments, in which they minister, for they are holy. They shall put on other garments, then they shall come near to that which is for the people. Then he had finished measuring the inner house. He brought me out by the way of the gate, which faced towards the east, and measured it all around. He measured on the east side with the measuring reed 500 reeds by the measuring reed. He measured the north side 500 reeds by the measuring reed. On the south side he measured 500 reeds with the measuring reed. He turned to the west side and measured 500 reeds with the measuring reed. He measured it on the four sides. It had a wall all around, the length 500 and the width 500, to divide between the holy and the profane. In Ezekiel 43. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to bring the city to ruin. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of Yahweh came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted 
lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of Yahweh filled the house. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house, while a man was standing beside me. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. And the house of Israel will not again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their harlotry, and by the corpses of their kings when they die. By putting their threshold by my threshold, and their doorpost beside my doorpost, with only the wall between me and them, and they have defiled my holy name by their abominations which they have done. So I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their harlotry and the corpses of their kings far from me, and I will dwell among them forever. As for you, son of man, describe the house of Yahweh to the house of Israel, that they may feel dishonor for their iniquities, and let them measure the plan. If they feel dishonor for all they have done, make known to them the design of the house, its structures, its exits, its entrances, all its designs, all its statutes, and all its laws, and write it in their sight, so that they may keep its whole design and all its statutes, and do them. This is the law of the house within its entire boundary, on top of the mountain all around, shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. And these are the measurements of the altar by cubits, the cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. The base shall be a cubit, and the width a cubit, and its border on its edge around about one span, and this shall be the height of the base of the altar, and from the base of the ground to the lower ledge shall be two cubits, and the width one cubit, and from the smaller ledge to the larger ledge shall be four cubits, and the width one cubit, and the altar hearth shall be four cubits, and from the altar hearth shall extend upwards four horns. Now the altar hearth shall be twelve cubits long by twelve wide, square in its four sides. The ledge shall be fourteen cubits long by fourteen wide in its four sides. The border around it shall be half a cubit, and its base shall be a cubit round about, and its steps shall face the east. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says Lord Yahweh, These are the statutes for the altar on the day it is made, to offer burnt offerings on it and to splash blood on it. And you shall give to the Levitical priests, who are from the seed of Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares Lord Yahweh, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. You shall also take some of its blood and put it on its four horns and on the four corners of the ledge and on the border round about, thus you shall purify it and make atonement for it. And you shall take the bull for the sin offering, and it shall be burned in the appointed place of the house, outside the sanctuary. Now on the second day you shall bring near a male goat without blemish for a sin offering, and they shall purify the altar as they purify it with the bull. When you have finished purifying it, you shall present a bull from the herd without blemish, and a ram without blemish from the flock. And you shall bring them near before Yahweh, and the priest shall throw salt on them, and they shall offer them up as a burnt offering to Yahweh. For seven days you shall offer daily a goat for a sin offering. Also a bull from the herd and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be offered. For seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it, so shall they ordain it. So they will complete the days, and it shall be that on the eighth day and onward the priest shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, declares Lord Yahweh. Alright, James 5. Come now, you rich, cry, howling over your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up such treasure in the last days. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, that which has been withheld by your cries, by you, excuse me, by you cries out against you, and the outcries of those who did the harvesting have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth, and lived in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the soil, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not groan, brothers, against one another, so that you, may, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Behold, we count those blessed who persevere. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right, Psalm 119, um, again, verses 1 to 16. So the first two stanzas of it. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk, I'm sorry, who walk in the law of Yahweh. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. They seek him with all their heart. They also do not work unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, may my ways be established to keep your statutes then I shall not be ashamed. When I look upon all your commandments, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Yahweh. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have recounted all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches. I will muse upon your precepts and look upon your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. All right, and Proverbs 28, verses 6 and 7. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, double-dealing, though he be rich. He who observes the law is a son who understands, but he who befriends gluttons humiliates his father. All right, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. Again, the, the whole point of doing this is, and, and again, I pray that this helps to keep you saturated in the word of God. And again, we are to, we are to stay saturated and we are to read and study and meditate on the word daily, daily. And again, that's not a request. It's a command. Um, and we should really strive, as weird as it sounds, going to go back to a Puritan like I usually do, and it's the same guy I keep talking about. We need to be like Bunyan, um, John Bunyan. He was known by his contemporaries. They would say of him that if you were to cut him, he would bleed Bibline. He would bleed the Bible because he was so saturated in it. And that needs to be us. That, that should be the characteristic of the Christian as he matures, as he or she matures. That should be one of our, the characteristics that develops in us. So I would pray that this helps you. I, this should not replace your own reading and studying <clears throat> and meditating, but I hope it comes alongside of it. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I will continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Uh, we're going to close out with prayer from Valley Vision called Service and Equipment. Service and Equipment. Thou God of my end. Thou hast given me a fixed disposition to go forth and spend my life for thee. If it be thy will, let me proceed in it. If not, then revoke my intentions. All I want in life is such circumstances as may best enable me to serve thee in the world. To this end, I leave all my concerns in thy hand. But let me not be discouraged, for this hinders my spiritual fervency. Enable me to undertake some task for thee, for this... This refreshes and animates my soul, so that I can endure all hardships and labors, and willingly suffer for thy name. But oh, what a death it is to strive and labor, to be always in a hurry and yet do nothing. Alas, time flies, and I am of little use. 
Oh, that I could be a flame of fire in thy service, always burning out in one continual blaze. Fit me for singular usefulness in this world. Fit me to exalt in distresses of every kind. If they but promote the advancement of thy kingdom, fit me to quit all hopes of the world's friendship, and give me a deeper sense of my sinfulness. Fit me to accept as just desert from thee any trial that may befall me. Fit me to be totally resigned to the denial of pleasures I desire, and to be content to spend my time with thee. Fit me to pray with a sense of the joy of divine communion, to find all times happy seasons to my soul, to see my own nothingness, and wonder that I am allowed to serve thee. Fit me to enter the blessed world where no unclean thing is, and to know thee with me always. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday November 21st episode of the Faith Comes From a Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're like I said, we're going to be continuing on our study of John chapter 15. Uh, we're right in the very last sections of it. We're in a section uh, from verses 17 to 25, dealing with being hated by the world, being hated by the world. So let's go ahead and let's just jump right in so we can get straight into our study. Uh, we're going to be... Um, opening up this evening segment with one called a minister's strength. And, and we, remember, I, I, as I've said before, we are all called to be ministers. We all have a ministry. Okay. We're all supposed to have a ministry. Doesn't mean everybody preaches from the pulpit. You can be a minister without preaching from the pulpit. Um, the fact is you can, you can be a minister and giving the gospel without preaching from the pulpit. So we are all ministers. We are all called to be ministers. Okay. We're not talking pastor, teacher. We're talking minister. Okay, so a minister's strength. So this applies to you too. So this applies to all of us. Okay, so this is called a minister's strength. Let's pray. Unchangeable Jehovah, when I am discouraged in my ministry and full of doubts of myself, fasten me upon the rock of thy eternal election. Then my hands will not hang down, and I shall have hope for myself and others. Thou dost know thy people by name, and wilt at the appointed season lead them out of a natural to a gracious state by thy effectual calling. This is the ground of my salvation, the object of my desire, the motive of my ministry. Keep me from high thoughts of myself or my work, for I am nothing but sin and weakness. In me no good dwells, and my best works are but sin. Humble me to the dust before thee. Root and tear out the poisonous weed of self-righteousness, and show me my utter nothingness. Keep me sensible of my sinnership. Sink me deeper into penitence and self-abhorrence. Break the dagon of pride in pieces. Break the, before the ark of thy presence. Demolish the babble of self-opinion, and scatter it to the wind. Level to the ground my Jericho walls of a rebel heart. Then grace, grace, will be my experience and cry. I am a poor, feeble creature when faith is not in exercise, like an eagle with pinioned wings. Grant me to rest on thy power and faithfulness, and to know that there are two things worth living for, to further thy cause in the world, and to do good to the souls and bodies of men. This is my ministry, my life, my prayer, my end. Grant me grace that I shall not fail. Amen. All right, and the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 21st. The text is from John 12, 2. So this is when Lazarus was re resurrected. Um, actually, this is after that. This is at the, the meal they have. So John, John 12, 2. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. He is to be envied. It was well to be Martha and serve, but better to be Lazarus and commune. There are times for each purpose, and each is comely in its season. But none of the trees of the garden yield such clusters as the vine of fellowship. To sit with Jesus, to hear his words, to mark his acts, and receive his smiles was such a favor as much as must have been Lazarus as I'm sorry, as must have made Lazarus as happy as the angels. When it has been our happy lot to feast with our beloved in his banqueting hall, we would not have given half a sigh for all the kingdoms of the world, if so much breath could have brought them could have bought them, excuse me. 
he is to be imitated. It would have been a strange thing if Lazarus had not been at the table where Jesus was, for he had been dead and Jesus had raised him. For the risen one to be absent when the Lord who gave him life was at his house would have been ungrateful indeed. We too were once dead, yea, and like Lazarus, stinking in the grave of sin. Jesus raised us, and by his life we live. Can we be content to live at a distance from him? Do we admit to remember him at his table, where he deigns to feast with his brethren? Oh, this is cruel. It behooves us to repent and do as he has bidden us, for his least wish should be law to us. To have lived without constant intercourse with one of whom the Jews said, Behold how he loved him, would have been disgraceful to Lazarus. Is it excusable in us, whom Jesus has loved with an everlasting love? To have been cold to him who wept over his lifeless corpse would have argued great brutishness in Lazarus. What does it argue in us over whom the Savior has not only wept, but bled? Come, brethren, who read this portion, let us return unto our heavenly bridegroom and ask for his spirit that we may be on terms of closer intimacy with him and henceforth sit at the table with him. Well said. All right. And give me just a second. Okay, so like I said, we're continuing on our study of John chapter 15. So again, you know our context again. Um, this is this is the upper room discourse. This is the final night. Um, Jesus is within hours of being arrested and then crucified. Okay. But throughout this, I mean, even with what he's already facing, and we're going to see, I mean, we see, and we see throughout the, when you synchronize the gospels, you look at the other gospels, it makes very, very clear um, that, that Jesus is under a lot of stress, stress to the point where he's sweating blood or, or sweating such that, that is like blood um, in the garden of Gethsemane, because he knows what he's about to face. And again, we've got to remember, it's it's not just the physical that he's going to face. That's going to be horrendous in and of itself. But it's the fact that he is facing not only the entirety of the sins of all that would be saved, all that were and would be saved, placed on him, but then the wrath of God poured out on him for those sins. And he knows this. Please, please don't ever misunderstand and think he does not understand this. He is fully God and fully man. So he is fully cognizant of what's coming. But at the same time, he knows his disciples are struggling. He knows these 11 are struggling um, because things are not working out the way they had them in their heads. Again, like I've said, they were misunderstanding the concept of Messiah. They understood he was their savior and stuff, but he, they thought of him as an earthly savior not as a spiritual savior, thus, thus the issues they had. So we watched him try to try to lift their spirits up, um, as we came through John 13 and then through John 14 and made promises to them, made clear, um, that he's not abandoning them. He's not leaving them alone, that, that the, um, that the Holy spirit is coming, um, and, and will indwell them. Um, so they're not going to be orphaned. They're not going to be left alone. And again, like, like, like I've said before, they've left everything. They've left everything behind to serve him and, and to be his students, his pupils. So then we moved into chapter 15 and we, we, we spoke in the first 11 verses of the vine and the branches. Okay. And, and that analogy. Um, and then we got verses 12 through 16 talking about the friends of Jesus. And I made very, very clear. That the friends of Jesus are those who are saved. You are not a friend of Jesus if you are not saved. And if you are not saved, then exactly the way that the Bible says you must be saved. Okay? We don't get to do it our own way. So we looked at those that criteria, those, those pieces. You know, that the friends of Jesus love each other. That they obey Jesus. That they know divine truth. And that they have been specially chosen by Jesus. By God. Okay? Remember, Jesus is God incarnate. So that's, that's where we're, where we're at. So we came to this portion that, that, um, MacArthur calls hated by the world. And so hated by the world. And of course you sit there and you go, really? But this is really what Jesus is dealing with. And again, he's, he's telling them this and he makes clear, and we're going to really deal with that tomorrow evening in, in more detail, but he's telling them this so they understand it and so that they know that it's expected that because they treat him this way, the disciples need to expect to be treated this way. So he's, he's going to make this clear. So I'm going to go ahead and read for you um, 
John 15 verses 17 through 25, and then we'll get into our verses for the day. So here we go. John 15 verse 17. This I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have, not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have, not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But this happened to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. So again, and I, and I kind of forgot to really talk about it, but it really, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered. So, so what we dealt with last night was that the world rejects those who are not part of it. Um, and again, we need to, we need to realize as Jesus goes into this section and we, we didn't really talk about verse 17, this, I command you that you love one another. Again, he's reminding them they need to love one another to survive. And he does that as he leads into this section, because they need to do that to be able to stand firm through all this, the world hating them. Okay. So that's the lead in. But again, we talked last night about the world rejecting those who are not part of it. And that was verse 18a, if the world hates you. And then verse 19, if you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. So again, I made clear the world is going to hate us. If we are truly the children of God, the true children of God, the adopted children of God, those, those who have been chosen, those who have been saved, they're going to hate us because we're not part of it. We are alien to them. We are alien to them. They do not understand us. They really don't. They cannot grasp who and why we are. Um, fact is, I know there's, I know there's people right now, um, with me, it, it, it blows their mind that I spend the amount of time. And please understand, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back or to make you guys go, Ooh, ah, uh, but that I spend the amount of time I do in, in, in reading and studying the scriptures and to putting together notes and preparing this podcast. I mean, honestly, the hours I, I work on this podcast every week for nothing. They don't understand that. They don't understand doing something for no financial or, or, or some kind of return like that. They don't understand it. They really don't. Um, I mean, at least they would think, oh, he must be doing it for fame. Well, obviously I'm not doing that either. Um, none of that has anything to do with it. It's being obedient to God. Why, why I would want to put in the time to preach and teach constantly and how I, I'm getting ready to be heading into, actually, I'm going to get my ID tomorrow to be ready to start heading into the prisons every Sunday to help provide a church service for them every Sunday, every Sunday afternoon. And people are like, why would you want to do that? I mean, they, they really don't understand it because it doesn't, it, there, there's no, there's no, you know, there's no worldly value that they can see for me doing that. And I understand that. I understand why they see it that way. Because they're not saved. Because they're not saved. Because they don't, they don't understand. They don't. I mean, we're alien to them. So please, we gotta, we've got to understand that. By the way, I remembered something. So one of the things, so I was talking about the persecution that happened in the church. And I talked about how we went kind of from the Roman Empire into the Roman Catholic Church per persecuting the church itself. And I couldn't remember the word, but, but, um, Wow, and I went blank on it again. <laughs> oh, I remembered it as we started the episode today, and then I went blank. Um, Inquisition. I remembered it. There we go. The Inquisition. The Inquisition. They send inquisitors all over the place, hunting down and burning at the stake heretics. Whether they were really heretics or not. Now, let me be clear. It wasn't just the Roman Catholic Church. Believe me, there were chunks of the Protestant Church that, it, that came up after the Reformation that tended to do the same thing that went after each other. I mean, you got to think about it. Um, the Anglican church started persecuting Puritans, uh, as Puritans arose and had a problem with the Anglican church and the Anglican church basically being Romanish, what they would call it, 
like the Roman Catholic Church, um, just giving it another name. And they're like, no, 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 this is not biblical. You, you have to, there has to be other than that um, to the point where thousands of them got thrown out of their pulpits, not by their congregations, but by the Anglican Church and told they could not preach. And it got to the point where they were having to preach in the dark. They were having to preach out in the fields. Um, there was actually places where they would assemble that they would have um, little trapdoor things um, where where the pastor would stand. And if word got there that 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 folks were coming to try to catch them, um, the the trapdoor would come up. the 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 preacher would drop down in. They'd close the close the door the door over it, you know. And and they would they would have hidey holes. They would have they called them priest holes. They would they would have hidey holes for the for them to hide in. And these people go, oh no, we're just hanging out, you know. I mean, or you know, in in their appropriate vernacular, oh, we're just hanging out, not a big deal. So there's been persecution across. So again. Because the world rejects those who are not part of it again. And, and so, you know, you're sitting there going, well, the church persecuting the church. Yeah. Well, that's parts of the church that are worldly. And again, like I said, if you see folks that proclaim themselves as Christian, but the world loves them, stay away from them because they're, they're not, they're not godly. They are, they are not, they, they, they are anathema. Okay. So what we're dealing with, so again, the world rejects those who are not part of it. So our second part of this is that the world hates believers because it hated Jesus Christ. So this is verse 18b and 20. I told you it's a little bit weird. 18b and 20. So 18b, know that it isn't. So this comes off of if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So they hate, it hated Jesus before it hated the bride of Christ, right? Then verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So again, they persecuted Jesus first. And again, this is, this is, um, we have to understand that. And, and actually, and I brought it up yesterday, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests and the scribes, you know, that whole religious elite of the Jews. They should have known better than anybody that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. They should, they were to be the, they were supposed to be the experts on the law and the prophets, particularly all the old Testament prophecies, the hundreds of them that there were about the Messiah. Actually, I think it's just over a hundred or something like that, but of the Messiah and should have known and done the research to know that Jesus met them all, but they didn't, they persecuted him. John five sixteen, And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was healing on the Sabbath. Now, uh, remember in John, except where it's clearly indicated by the context, in this case, when Jews is used, it's speaking of the religious leadership. Okay. This is not the Jewish people, but the Jewish, the religious leadership. And we see this repeatedly throughout the gospel of John. And we've seen that as we've studied through it. John five eighteen, for this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath Sabbath, but also was calling God, his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, again, so these are supposed to be the ones that should know he's the Christ more than anybody else. And on top of the fact that his teachings are such, and we see that throughout the gospels, um, throughout all the gospels, where it makes clear that he's teaching with the level of authority, level of authority that even their religious elite do not teach with. Okay. He's making clear that he's coming from somewhere otherworldly in his teaching alone. But on top of that, he's doing miracles, miracles that only God could do. And that they would be the first ones to tell you that only God could do these. But we have to remember, they're the same ones who turn around and say, oh, well, he's doing those, those miracles um, by Beelzebub or by Belial, like he's casting out demons by, by the power of Beelzebub or, or he's, he's doing these healings by the power of demons. I mean, they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit working in him that's doing that, doing these healings. Okay, don't, don't ever miss that, that the Holy Spirit's involved there. 
So they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And again, it makes clear they're doing what is called the unpardonable sin. Okay. So they're persecuting him. John 7, 1. And after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. John 7, 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. They were trying to seize him in, the, in this case. And I forget, I think it was Feast of Booths in John 7 that, that he's out there preaching. And he's at, and I think he's actually out there preaching in the women's court out there near the money changers and um, the, the money changing station um, the, or the, I'm sorry, the treasury where, the, where they contribute the, their, their tithes um, and where he's preaching in the women's court. Um, and they heard them whispering some of the things and they want, they sent officers out to seize them. Of course, these officers were so floored by his teaching. They came back and didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't apprehend him. John eight fifty nine. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. John ten thirty one. the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I mean, two different times here in the gospel of John where they've picked up stones to stone him. John 11, 47 through 53. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the Sanhedrin together and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is doing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is better for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this from himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Again, it's very, very clear. Um, Hebrews 12.3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. So, so again, it, it makes clear that point, that believers are hated because they hate Jesus. Jesus is our master. Jesus is our master. I've told you before, we're either slaves of Christ or we're slaves of Satan. There is no other. We're slaves of Christ or we're slaves of Satan. And that's okay. That, mean, that means, um, as I talked about, this was a little while ago, a uh, couple days ago, I think it was last week, talking about being slaves. We are totally and completely dependent on Christ. And that's not something we like to think of in our country. That's something our, our culture does not like to accept, that we're dependent on anybody. Oh, we're independent. We don't need anybody. We can take blah, 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 blah. You know, and we run off at the mouth. And what we need to do is shut up because... You know, we're, we're real, real big about the fact that oh, we don't have kings here. We elect our presidents. Well, I hate to tell you this. Uh, actually, I don't hate to tell you this. I love to tell you this because I love to smack myself in the face with this. It's almost self-flagellistic. We've had a king since before time began, and he is Jesus Christ. And he's the king of the world, no matter whose slave we are. And being a slave of Christ means I am dependent on Christ for, for my provision and for my protection, for my education, for my lifting up, my edification. I am dependent totally upon him. A slave is totally dependent upon his master for that. And I, I am a slave of Christ. And I, and I am, I am proud, not, not in an ugly pride sense, but I actually know, let's put it this way. I am grateful to be a slave of Christ. But as this says, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, this Jesus said, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. He's trying to make the point that are you, are you surprised that if they go after the master, that they don't go after the slave? Now, again, remember, we're not talking about chattel slavery. Okay. We're not talking about chattel slavery of the 17th, 18th, 19th century. That, that cropped up in our country or that was in our country or ended up in our country. That's not what we're talking about. Remember people in that, in that era and in that culture, there were times they would sell themselves into slavery because it was the only way they could provide for themselves. And the fact is they were actually very well taken care of. 
And in most cases, unless they chose to stay, and some did, chose to spend their whole life as a slave. Seventh year would come around, year of Jubilee, and they would be automatically freed. Didn't have to pay, pay anything, didn't have to, you know, it wasn't any of that. Um, and you, once you had a slave, the slaves weren't, weren't, weren't floating around. I mean, you weren't, you, you, it was against God's laws to abuse your slaves and to treat them like, you know, we, we have in our history. Okay. So, and in many cases, people would sell themselves into slavery to their own family, to cousins and those like that, that were better off. And thus, and, and in, in a lot of cases, because they may not, they might, might not have either the skill set to provide for themselves at that time, unless they're working under somebody, um, or the financial means or the land that is usable in such a way for their skill set. I mean, guy's a farmer, but the guy's land is not suitable for farming. How does he support himself? But if he can go work the land of one of his, one of his um, relatives, submit himself to slavery within seven years, he's out. And the fact is, he makes money on his own by the on the way. So again, it's very very different. But again, in this case, so in that case, when slave is not greater than his master, that slave was dependent on that master. But that slave wasn't sitting there in a constant state of revolt from the master. So if they're going to abuse the master, they're going to abuse the slave. And that's what Jesus is trying to point out. You're my slaves, not in an ugly sense, but you're my slaves. You're totally dependent on me. If they're going to hate me, they're going to hate you. So he goes on. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So again, there's a promise there at the end that if they keep Jesus's word, they'll keep the disciples, these 11 as well. So it's so clear that the world hates Jesus Christ. And we should expect to have to follow within his example. We are to walk as he walked. And we should expect the same response from the world that he got. First Peter 2.21 For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Matthew 10.24-25 a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. That's what Jesus was referring to there. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Be Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. This is Paul talking about it. That, that, that he may, he would know him. He would know Jesus. No intimate. No, not, not cognitive knowledge, intimate knowledge of Jesus and intimate knowledge of the power of his resurrection and of the fellowship of his suffering so that he would know that suffering, meaning it would come upon him being conformed to the death of Christ. But again, like I said, at the even in that is as as horrible as that sounds to you and I, because who wants to bring on suffering? Like I said, there's the promise. Promise. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. If those we interact with keep Jesus Christ's word, the word of God, then they would keep the Christian's word. They would be obedient to God's law. They would keep our word. They would keep these disciples' words. Okay. And we've got to know, we've got to remember, you need to know um, that, that tradition has it that all but John, the apostle, were murdered in some way, shape, or form for their faith. And John was exiled to Patmos. And believe me, it was not a garden spot. <laughs> spot. Uh, being exiled to Patmos was not... But, but it, again, because he would not stop preaching again, like Peter and John, um, preaching in the temple, doing what you're supposed to do in the temple. They're preaching in the temple and they got beaten for it. They got beaten for it and they were going to get, and then P at one point Peter was going to get killed for it. And an angel freed him and walked him out of the jail. So we have to expect that the world is going to hate us and it's okay. It's okay. Because we are the slaves of Christ. He is our provider and he is our protector. 
Doesn't mean we're not going to face the persecution. Doesn't mean it's not going to be painful. But it does mean that in bringing honor to God, we will be honored. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. I, I guarantee you, Paul was not looking forward to somebody lopping his head off with a sword or an axe or whatever they used there in the Roman prison there after 2 Timothy 4. But at the same time, Paul was the same one who had said that for him to live was Christ, but to die was gain. Okay? That's how it's got to be with us. We know the persecution's coming. And what does that persecution do for us? It builds us up and it strengthens us. It sharpens us and makes us better able to be true witnesses for Christ in this world. And how awesome is that? All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. Uh, let's go ahead and close up with prayer. We're going to close up with the third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe, and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you for spending this time with me uh, this evening. I pray that uh, spending this time um, is helping you to grow or helping us to grow in our understanding of scripture and thus shape our Christian walk, that that worthy walk would be truly that we would truly show ourselves as the adopted children of God. All right. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Mm -hmm.